You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I like that video. I think it's just a great reminder. You know, there are times, I think, where we kind of see ourselves, and sometimes what all we can see really are our sins or our struggles, our problems, our hindrances. Uh, and so sometimes that's what we get so focused on. And I think it's just great to remember that when God sees us, um, God sees the potential of what we can become when we're just walking uh, in, in unison, uh, in, in harmony, in relationship with him. So again, it's just a great reminder the difference that God can really make uh, in our lives. I don't know about any of you, whether you find yourself doing this, but there are oftentimes I'll find myself kind of in, in a situation or a circumstance, I'm working on something, and I'll think to myself, man, you know, I really wished I would have paid better attention uh, to this when I was in high school. Or I wish that I would have taken courses on this, you know, when I was in high school. I mean, perfect example is uh, this weekend, uh, actually probably for about the last, I would say, maybe six months or longer, Janie and I have been working on a remodeling project on a, a bathroom in our home. And it kind of started one day where uh, I came home and she's kind of ripping wallpaper off of the wall because it was really bad and it, it was just parts of it were worn and it, and it needed to be done. But what that said to me when I saw her doing that was, we have just started another journey into home remodeling. Um, and it, for us, the joke is, is just kind of like watching her and I working together on doing a home project. It's, it's exactly what you would expect if Laurel and Hardy were doing it. Neither of us really have much skill or knowledge uh, in it. You may remember uh, a couple of years ago, we tore out our, our back steps. We had some rotted boards. And so we're kind of thinking, how difficult can this be? Let's just tear out the bad boards and we'll put good boards in their place. Well, by the time we got done tearing everything out, we had no back porch. And I remember at one point just kind of looking at Janie as we're just ripping out all these rotted boards. And I looked at her and I said, we are officially in over our heads territory. And so this week, uh, weekend, We've been working very, very diligently. We're very, very close to being done. And so we put some car siding up on the ceiling in the bathroom. And so this weekend, was my goal was to get the quarter round um, trim all done. So uh, I'd gotten it all primed, all painted, all ready to go. I had bought more than enough wood um, to do it. And so this weekend, yesterday, I started on this project that I thought was just going to take me a couple of hours, okay? I'm just thinking, all I got to do is just 45 degree cuts and put it up there. So, you know, I did the first, first board and put it up there, went to go do the second board, and I could not get the two edges to come together, uh, to dovetail together so that it looked like it fit there. Um, I either had the cut going one way or another way, and so I'd think, okay, well, I just got to go back out and I just got to cut the opposite direction. It didn't go that way, so it's just got to be cut the opposite direction. So I went out, cut it the opposite direction, took it in there. It still didn't fit. I'm like thinking, what is, this doesn't make any sense. I, it was just, so we, I, we kept cutting and cutting and cutting. We could not get anything to fit. 
And so uh, finally had to call somebody. They came over, kind of showed me uh, what I needed to do. And so I'm like, okay, I, I got this figured out now. Until I came to, and this was going from inside corner to inside corner. I got this figured out. I can do this. It looks good. Then I came to where I had to do an outside corner. And what they told me to do did not work on an outside corner. I still have no idea how to get the inside corner. So, uh, like I said, we bought more than enough wood. I mean, we, I, I tend to kind of, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. So if I need 20 foot of board, I'm going to get 40, okay? Foot of board just because I don't want any issues. So we've got half of the bathroom done and we are completely out of wood. So I said to Janie, at one point, I said to Janie, I said, this is one of these times where I wished that I would have taken some kind of carpentry program in high school or college. I said, as a matter of fact, I just feel like I just need to go and enroll in carpentry school if we're going to continue to do these kinds of projects. So oftentimes, I will kind of look back on things like that, and I'll say, you know, I really wish that when I was in high school, I would have paid better attention in, in this particular subject or in this particular area. How many of you are kind of like that? You get into a place in life, you kind of think, I just wish that I would have done more. I mean, I wish I would have done more with car mechanics. You know, as much work as I ended up doing on cars, I thought, you know, I, I should have done something um, like that. And I think that way about American history, okay? Uh, I don't know if it was me, if it was the teacher, if it was a combination uh, of both, but as a young student, I just often found American history or just history in general kind of boring and irrelevant, okay? I just felt like it was kind of unnecessary. I mean, history, it, it's, it's in the past, uh, it, it's over, what's do done is done. I mean, I would think, what? possible importance could history have on the present, much less alone, the future? Well, it really wasn't until I was beyond, you know, my college, high school days that I really started to kind of take an interest in reading um, and learning about history, and particularly American history. And to this day, I always enjoy kind of picking up uh, a book and, and just reading something on American history. Because I believe our nation's founding, the birth of our nation, it, it is not one of the, it's not just one of the most fascinating stories in all of history, but I really believe that our nation's founding has the fingerprints and providence of God all over it. Uh, no nation in the history of this planet do, do I think has a more fascinating history than the nation of Israel. Now, for those of you that maybe are not really familiar with the nation or the history of the nation of Israel, let me kind of just give you a Reader's Digest version of that. There was a time where God called a man by the name of Abram. And he was uh, somewhat of a pagan man. He was living in a very pagan country. And God called him to follow him to a land he had never seen and for Abram to leave a people he had always known. And then in the midst of this, God makes a promise to Abram that is so incredulous, so outrageous, so way out there that Abram himself even laughs 
at what God is telling him. And that was, God told Abram, he said, from you, I am going to bring forth a great nation. God said to Abram, as a matter of fact, you are going to be the first, and from you are going to come numerous descendants. He said, as a matter of fact, if you could number the stars in heaven, your descendants are going to far outnumber those stars. God said to Abram, the the, the nation that's going to come forth from you, it is going to be so great And it is going to be such a blessing to every other nation that would ever exist. And again, what was funny at the time of this promise, Abraham and his wife Sarah were almost a hundred years old when God made that specific promise to him. And the Bible says that Sarah was, was barren. She was well beyond childbirth years. But in the midst of all of that, you remember, God kept his promise. You know that Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac goes on to have a son named Jacob. Jacob goes on to have 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. One of Jacob's son by the name of Joseph. Remember, he sold into slavery by his other jealous brothers. Joseph is taken to Egypt in the grand scheme of things as only God can do. Joseph rises up to the ranks and he kind of becomes the prime minister of the nation of Egypt. And eventually, you know that Joseph brings all of his family from Israel. They were suffering from a great famine at that time. And Joseph brings all of his brothers, his whole family, into Egypt. Uh, All is forgiven and forgotten. But again, at this point in the story, there's still no nation of Israel. So Joseph, uh, he's kind of, again, risen, and he is the right-hand man to Pharaoh. And as long as Joseph and Pharaoh are alive, all is good. But as we all eventually do, they die. And so in their place, another Pharaoh rises up, and he's you know, doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't know Joseph's history. He's never heard of Abraham or God's great promise to him. But the one thing this new Pharaoh sees and knows is that Joseph's family, these Israelites, they have multiplied like rabbits, and now there are over 600,000 men alone, not counting women and children. And this new Pharaoh, he becomes alarmed and concerned that eventually these Israelites, they're going to continue to multiply so greatly that one day they could potentially take over this nation. And so this Pharaoh, he enslaves them and orders all of the firstborn males to be killed so the birth rate will stop and they can begin to control the population of the Israelites. And you remember that there's one Hebrew baby that is spared from that slaughter and his name is Moses. And you may remember that God raises Moses up and he anoints him and he empowers him to be the deliverer of those people who had now been enslaved for about 400 years. And Moses acknowledges, he understands this is not going to be an easy task. Because Moses knows, knows these people, they have long forgotten the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, These people, they've been enslaved so long 
that they have lost all hope that they will ever be freed. They are under the thumb of the most powerful nation with the most powerful army and the world and with apparently no way to escape and no way of even propagating their own race. Again, they find themselves in an all too familiar position. They're out of options, or so it seems. So we've been in this series we've been calling Out of Options because, again, there are times, there's moments, there's situations and circumstances in our lives where we think we are out of options. We think there's no choice but to cheat, to take the wrong path, to make the wrong decision, to compromise our convictions or our values, to go along, to get along. And there's times where we're even tempted to just forsake and give up on God. And we've been looking at real life people and real life Bible stories of people who have, by all accounts and all appearances, they saw themselves as people who were out of options. But as we've learned throughout this series, with God, there are always options. When you find yourself uh, in a place where you don't think there's any way out, with God, there's always a way out. And that brings us to what is to this day to the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at one of the two greatest events in their history. And this particular one is found in Exodus 12. We talked about that other incident last week, and that was the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus 14. And what you are about to see today, this was so critical to this nation that God even changed the calendar, making this day the beginning of Israel's religious year. It would become the basis of one of the greatest celebrations the nation observes to this day, and it's called Passover. Even more importantly, Passover, it provides for us the clearest picture of what redemption means in the Old Testament. That word redeemed, as you know, it means to be bought back with a price or at a cost. And we're going to learn today that there is no one, even those seated here this morning, there is no one of us who are beyond God's redemption and God's forgiveness. And what we are looking at in Exodus 12, it is both the birth of a nation in one night and the freedom of a nation in one day after about 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And we're going to learn something today about what to remember when you're out of options. When you find yourself in a situation, in a circumstance, do you think there's no way out? You feel like your back is up against the wall. And again, I want you to remember, you're never out of options. There's always a way out. Interestingly, someone shared with me in our Wednesday night study, uh, as we've been going through this series, uh, she ran into an encounter uh, with someone in her family who tried to take their, their life. And so she uh, went uh, and visited them uh, where they were, and, and she just said to them, do you want to talk or do you want to listen? And this individual says, I want to listen. And she said, you know what, Pastor Jeff? She said, the last four weeks of this sermon on, on no options, no way out. She said, it all just came spilling out in about 15 minutes. And she said, it was so great to be able to tell her, you know what, no matter what happens in life, when you feel like there are no options, I want you to know there, is a, there are options with God. When you feel like there's no way out, nowhere to turn, there is a way out. And there is someone you can turn to. And she said, it just flowed out of me. 
She said, thank you so much for doing this series. She said, because I actually got to talk to somebody who felt they were out of options. Again, with God, there's always a way out but his way is the only way. I don't know what you may be in where you kind of maybe feel you're out of options. Maybe you feel like this morning your back is up against the wall. Maybe you're in bondage or enslaved to something today. It can be financial debt. It doesn't have to be slavery in terms of what the Israelites were. I mean, it can be pornography, drugs, alcohol, unforgiveness. It can be bitterness, lust, or anger. I'm telling you, there is freedom awaiting you. There is a way out of whatever you may be facing. So I just want you to remember, if you ever find yourself in that place, here's just three, what I would like to call incredibly practical, simple lessons. The first lesson we need to remember is accept God's direction. There came a time for the Israelites as they're in bondage to Egypt where tonight became the night After 400 years of making bricks out of straw, of being ordered around, told where to go, what to do, when to eat, 400 years of slavery. They're at a point right now where their declaration of independence is about to be signed. They are about to become a free people. And they're anxiously awaiting to see what is God going to do? How is God going to deliver us? What is God's means of deliverance going to be? And so here are the directions that God gives Moses to the Israelites, and we find that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. God tells Moses, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for each household. Now just stop right there. Can you imagine maybe what Moses is thinking or feeling in this moment? The Israelites are in slavery and bondage to the most powerful king and the most powerful army on earth. God has said to Moses, I have a plan. You are going to be the one who delivers them. You're going to go and you're going to lead this nation free. And Moses is thinking, yes, amen. What is the plan, God? Is God going to deliver them by wiping out the Egyptians with a wave of his hand? Is God going to send a legion of angels to destroy them all? I mean, how is God going to do this? And Moses, he's anxiously awaiting God's plan. And then he hears God's plan. Are you ready for this? God is going to use a lamb. Not a lion. Not an elephant. Not a bunch of poisonous snakes, but a lamb, the most gentle, meek, and defenseless of all the creatures on earth. God's plan involved using an animal with no fangs, no claws, an animal that cannot even outrun those that would eat it, a lamb, a lamb that is fit for nothing but wool and food. Do you know what I think Moses really wanted to say to God at that moment? I think as Moses hears God's plan, I'm sure Moses is kind of standing there and he's thinking, seriously? I think he's saying to God, I think you need a new plan, Stan, or I'm going to slip out the back, Jack. If you don't come up with something better, I'm off the bus, Gus. Why can't you just drop off the key, Lee, and set us all free? 
I'm sure Moses is kind of thinking, God, you can do better than that. You can come up with a better plan than that, a lamb. But no, God's plan for the freedom, the redemption of Israel is through a lamb. And not just any lamb will do. But God says to Moses, that lamb, it has to be a perfect lamb. Exodus 12, 15 stipulates, and there God says, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So again, if there was any flaw or blemish in the lamb whatsoever, it had to be disqualified. It couldn't be blind. It couldn't have a crooked nose. It couldn't have, you know, one leg longer than the other, a missing ear, a broken hoof, scabs or scars. Its wool had to be completely, totally white. And so they would bring that lamb that they had chosen, they would bring that to the priest. And the priest would carefully examine and he would look over that lamb and he would make sure that that lamb had no spots, no blemishes, that it was fit for the sacrifice. They would look inside the lamb's mouth. They would look at eyelids, ears. They would be looking for any kind of a blemish. Again, only a perfect, spotless lamb without blemish would do. Also interesting that the lamb had to be killed, but not just at any time. It had to be killed at a specific time. And God gives Moses that too. In Exodus 12, verse 6, he says, And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So the lamb was to be selected on the 10th day of the month, and it would be observed and it would be examined by the high priest or the priest for four days before that lamb would be allowed to be killed. But again, it couldn't be killed at just any time of the day. It had to be killed at twilight, which in the Hebrew language literally means between evenings. And so that would fall sometime between three and six o'clock in the afternoon. And at that time, the priest would just simply lift up the neck of that lamb, and he would just cut the throat, and then he would catch all of the blood in a basin. But that blood did not stay in the basin for long. Exodus 12, 7, God, again, is giving instruction to Moses. He says, then they shall take some of the blood that was there in the basin, and he said they're going to put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. They would take the lamb, and they would prepare the lamb, um, and they would consume that uh, at a meal. Then verses 12 through 13, God is explaining to Moses the reasoning for this blood on the doorposts and the lentil. And there he says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night... And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's where that word Passover comes from. I will pass over, and no plague will befall you to destroy you <coughs> when I strike the land of Egypt. So the Israelite slaves, were to, they were to take that blood and they were just to apply that to the doorpost uh, and the lentil of their house because that would be their protection against God's death angel that was going to pass through the land. Now again, at this point, keep in mind, this is God's plan. 
This is God's direction. This is not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. Moses is not there to alter or make suggestions about what God is doing. It's God's way or the highway. It's God's way or the grave. And Israel had to learn on this very night, as we have to learn, that when we are out of options, God's not the only best option. He's your only option. I didn't know this about Rolls-Royce, but you know Rolls-Royce has one policy when you buy a car from them, and that is the only place in which a Rolls-Royce automobile can be repaired is the factory where it was made. God is the one who created, who brought forth the nation of Israel. God is the one who has created and brought forth you and I. And just as God was the only one that could save Israel that night, God is the only one that can save you and I today. That's why Jesus made that statement that he did there in John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's God's direction. We can't argue with that. We may not like that. We may think that, oh, that just sounds so, you know, exclusive. That just sounds so closed-minded. Well, you know what? It's God's way or the highway. It's God's way or the grave. So Jesus makes that statement there. Again, he's, he's the only way to the Father, just as God planned it. So again, when you think you're out of options, you'll find in this book, you'll find God's direction. You'll find God's way out. When you think you're out of options, when you, uh, you know, want to just find not only the right way out, you'll find, you'll accept, you'll follow God's direction. Second lesson that you need to learn is apply God's provision. Moses does exactly what he is told to do. And then he goes to the Israelites, who I'm sure are waiting with bated breath for this wonderful plan that God must have for them and the powerful way that God is going to deliver them. But Moses simply repeats what he's been told. Exodus 12, beginning of verse 21. Then Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, Dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And he says, none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Again, you know what? It is one thing to be told what to do. It is a completely different thing to do what you are told to do. To accept God's direction, you also have got to apply God's provision. It wasn't enough just to take a lamb, slay a lamb, or even to pour the blood of a lamb into the basin, okay? The blood of the lamb, it has to be applied to the doorpost and the lentil of the house. There would only be one difference between the house of an Israelite and the house of an Egyptian, and that would be the application of the blood on the door. Otherwise, the Israelites would suffer the same fate as the Egyptians. They were to obey and do specifically what Moses told them to do. 
Biggest issue I run into with people uh, that are struggling with issues in their lives, they will not do what God's word tells them to do. And they're coming to me as if I can provide a, a, a different way out, that, that somehow I can provide a better answer or a better solution. No, your answer, your solution is in here. You just need to do it. There's no other way out of this. There's no other way around this. Only the blood of the sacrificed lamb on the door would save them. Okay, a locked door is not going to save them. Putting a guard at the door is not going to save them. The blood of another animal wouldn't save them. Furthermore, God did not say, I'll pass over you if you're a religious person or a righteous person or a respectable person. The only thing that would stay the hand of that death angel and make him pass over peaceably would be the blood of the sacrificed lamb on the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. God is very, very specific. God was not going to be looking for a baptismal certificate. God was not going to be looking for a giving statement. God was not going to be looking for a diploma from a Bible college or a seminary. No substitutes allowed. You could believe in the lamb. You could love the lamb. You could keep lambs as pets. But the only thing that would save you is if you took the blood of the lamb, the perfect lamb, and applied it to the door of your house. Now, I'm guessing. I, I, I can't say this for sure. The Bible doesn't say this. I'm just assuming here that there may have been some Israelites there that really didn't feel like smearing bloods, you know, lamb blood on the doorposts of their house. There were probably some of them who thought it was absolutely gross and ridiculous to do so. I'm assuming there may have been some among them that totally did not understand why God was doing this. I have an idea, and we'll see in a moment, it's pointing toward a future lamb. One who could permanently pay and satisfy the debt of sin and offer freedom and redemption to anyone who is willing to obey God, to follow his direction, and to apply his provision. They just did it. They believed God and then they obeyed God, even if they didn't fully understand why God was doing it the way he was doing it. As a matter of fact, that night when little children would ask their father, Daddy, why are you putting blood on the, on the doorpost of our house? That dad would probably just simply reply, because God said so. God told us to do it, and we're going to be obedient. We're going to obey God. Do you realize history was made that night? And it was made by a people who believed God. They believed God's man. They accepted God's direction. And they accepted God's provision in the blood of that lamb. Again, there's no logical reason for them to do so. They just did what they were told to do. Again, you can believe what God says, but it doesn't matter if you don't do what God says. You can accept God's option as being true, but it won't work unless you apply God's provision. Third lesson is this, appreciate God's redemption. What God did on this night, the Passover night, was so important that he told the nation of Israel, I don't want you to ever forget this. 
Exodus 12, 14. This day shall be a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast. It's one of the seven feasts of the Lord. He says, you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. If you've been here at Praise Community Church for any length of time, you know that we have done several reenactments of the, of the Passover meal where we've actually gone back and recreated just as the Jewish nation would celebrate that. It's a, it's a remarkable thing. It's just so full of, of symbolic um, uh, stuff in there that it, it just, it's incredible as you begin to look at uh, all of that. So Passover, it marked a new beginning for these Jewish people, and it bound them together as one nation under God. And when God frees a person from the bondage of sin and self, it's not just the beginning of a new day, it is the beginning of a new life. From then until now, every time Jewish people would hear the word redeemed or the word redemption, they would immediately go back and think of the Passover. God had delivered them. God had acquired their freedom through the blood of a lamb. The Passover supper is not just something they obeyed that night and celebrated that night. It was to be a memorial that they were to remember forever. Do you realize the Passover is not just for Jews? The blood of the Passover lamb was not just important to the nation of Israel. One of the greatest Jews who ever lived, a Pharisee, a descendant of Abraham, by the name of the Apostle Paul, he connected the dots from the Old Testament Passover lamb to the New Testament Passover lamb. Look at what Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He said, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Who was this Passover lamb Paul talks about? Who did he represent? What does the blood of that lamb signify and mean today? This entire event there in Exodus 12, do you realize it was just a foreshadow? It was a picture, a prophecy, a promise of the Redeemer who would bring permanent redemption and forgiveness of sin, Jesus Christ. Now just think about this. Do you remember how the Passover lamb had to be perfect? How the lamb had to be inspected and observed by a priest over a period of time? How every part of that lamb had to be examined to make sure there was no spot, no blemish. For 30 years, do you realize Jesus was observed? He was looked at by family and friends. For three years, he was observed and examined by multitudes, both friends and enemies. Have you ever wondered why the gospel spends so much time just on the last week of Jesus to me, it, it kind of seems disproportionate. I mean, Jesus lived in relative obscurity for 30 years. He ministered for three years, but almost one-third of the Gospels only cover a couple of days in the life and ministry of Jesus. Do you know why? Because it was in those few days that Jesus Christ, that Passover lamb of God, was being examined if you were in our, our tabernacle study that we're doing right now this past Wednesday night, you would have seen and heard this same thing being talked about. There were people that got in line to examine Jesus. 
The Sadducees, remember, they examined him. The Pharisees, they examined him. The Herodians, they examined him. The civilian leaders, they uh, examined him. Pontius Pilate examined him. And I want you to listen to his testimony when he said this about Jesus in Luke 23, 14. This is Pilate talking concerning Christ. He says, I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence, and I find no fault, no spot, no blemish in him. And then he goes on to say, Herod came to the same conclusion and sent Jesus back to us. In John 8, 46, Jesus asked this question, which of you convicts me of sin? I wouldn't ask my best friend that question, much less my enemies. But Jesus asked the question, and do you realize he still hasn't received an answer to that question? Why? Because he is the perfect lamb of God. No spot, no blemish, no fault. Do you remember when this Passover lamb had to be killed? Remember, between 3 o'clock in the afternoon and 6 o'clock in the evening. That's the exact time that Jesus Christ was crucified. What was required, both of the Passover lamb and Jesus, they both had to shed their blood. Do you remember how the blood was applied? Above the door and on the sides of the, above the door and on the both sides of the doorpost. Do you realize what shape that is? It's the sign of the cross. When that death angel looked at the door of that house, he didn't just see blood on the door. He saw a cross. When you read this chapter and you study the Passover, you're not just looking into a window of what God did one night thousands of years ago. You're looking in a mirror of what God is doing today. Just as they were saved by the blood of the lamb, you and I, we are saved today because of the blood of a lamb. There was peace and joy in a lot of Egypt that night, but not in every home. Listen to verse 30 in Exodus 12. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and all of his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Do you realize in Israel, not one home was attacked in Egypt, not one home was spared. The difference, and the only difference was the blood on the door. Again, there's a reason why the Bible speaks so much about blood and what it does. First of all, God connects sin and blood to show that sin results in death. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Secondly, God is repulsed by the sight of sin, just as the sight of blood repulses a lot of people, and God connects the two of them, so we'll know exactly how he feels Even the Lord's Supper, do you realize this is our Passover? Because again, it is a reminder to us that with God, there is always an option, but his way out, which is the only way out, is paved with blood. In closing, I read about a man that served in the United States Navy, and many times he had the watch late at night. He was on station where he would uh, stand on the bridge, which is where the ship is controlled and steered. And so at night, uh, no white lights were allowed on the bridge because it would hinder the person on watch from being able to see other ships or obstacles, which would put the ship in harm's way. 
All of the lights and flashlights would have a red filter over the lens so it would maximize their night vision. This man said he could read any document he received as long as it was not written in red ink or in red felt tip pen. If it was written in red, he said the red light blends with the ink and the message would become completely invisible. Every one of us in this room, we have been born with sin over the doorpost of our heart. But once we trust and put our faith in Jesus Christ and we allow him to put his blood over our hearts and our lives, do you realize our sins completely disappear? As a matter of fact, the Bible says our, 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 skin, our, our sins are, are as uh, red as scarlet, but the blood of Christ makes it white as snow, which we're getting more of that on the ground. Aren't you happy tonight? I want you just to understand when God looks at your heart, God sees one of two things. God sees your sins, or God sees the blood of the Lamb of God. The only way out of this world to eternal life is by the blood of the Lamb, through God's perfect Lamb, His Son, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you kind of think there are multiple ways to God. Maybe you think there are a lot of different options out there with your sin. Maybe you just kind of think if you live perfectly, maybe for the next week, that you'll kind of earn or you'll deserve your way into God's good graces, into, into forgiveness, into heaven. I'm here to tell you, nothing you try, nothing that's ever been tried, nothing that ever will be tried, is ever going to work in terms of our issue of sin. There's only one solution to the issue of sin in our lives, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's why we celebrate it every Sunday, because we want you to remember your way out of sin, God's way out of sin, is through the breaking of Jesus' body, through the shedding of his blood. This is our Passover meal. This is God's direction. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This is God's provision. Our salvation through the breaking of his body, our forgiveness through the shedding of his blood. There is no other way. There is no other option. And so we come and we recognize and we celebrate the deliverance of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God for sinful people that he has made a way for us through his son, Jesus Christ, his broken body, his shed blood. And so we come because of that and we celebrate that because of that we have freedom. We have forgiveness from sin. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.